and it really doesn't hit you until I mean, we stay in a hotel in Kansas City the night before a game, so the, all the drive uh, all the hype doesn't really hit you until you like a block away from the stadium. Everyone's tailgating, and you're looking around, and everyone's flooding the streets and everything. I think it'll be sustained success here for the for the next years to come. Dad used to tell me all the time. He used to tell me all the time, son, don't worry about the mules, just load the wagon. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Jayhawks Unplugged here with Chris Tehan. I'm with my guest, probably the most popular walk-on in Kansas history, recent Kansas history for sure. Um, football player, having a great year this year, Jared Casey. Jared, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So, Jared, you're from Prairieville, Kansas. You grew up in a big family. As a, as you were growing up, what role did growing up in a big family um play on your life. I know I have four brothers, I have three brothers and one sister and you have six siblings, four sisters and two brothers. Was it a competitive household or how was it? Yeah, um, literally everything that we did uh, growing up was together. So um, we'd play sports together. Obviously I was the youngest of the seven, so I got picked on quite a bit. Um, but yeah, um, I mainly hung out with my two brothers growing up, uh, football, basketball, baseball. Um, I, I did track in high school, um, literally any sport that you can think of, we were doing it. So it was really competitive. Uh, we all had a lot of fun doing it and we're still really close now, uh, which makes it even cooler. So yeah, it was a pretty competitive household growing up. Yeah, I can I can imagine. I mean, I grew up with, I was not the youngest, but my oldest older sibling was like 10 years older than me. So he beat up on me all the time it really made me a lot tougher but uh i can i can see i can see how that uh you definitely got picked on a lot there but oh, you yeah. said that you're a multi you you played every sport and I, when i was doing my research on this i saw that in high school you're actually a three sport athlete you obviously football was your main sport you were three three years all state or three years all conference and then basketball was when i actually looked at 1500 points two-time all-state two-time player and player of the year nominee um wild i didn't know that so just talking <laughs> high school i mean you're you're a jack of all you're not even really focusing on a sport at this point you're just kind of picking up whatever how how was your experience playing yeah um basically all started in like i said when i was a lot younger um i i give credit to all my siblings because I learned a lot of skills from them growing up. But um, yeah, a lot of people don't know that I played basketball in high school and I was actually pretty decent at it. So, I mean, you may not look at me and be like, uh, hey, he's a basketball player, but I, I I really did like basketball. It was my second favorite sport for sure. But uh, going back to like what I said, just growing up, playing all these sports really helped me to gain a lot of skills that obviously I can contribute to football. Um, which ended up being obviously my favorite sport of everything. But yeah, I like to basically just be busy all the time. It, was, it wasn't it was fun just sitting around the house, you know. Like I would play Xbox or whatever here and there, but I always wanted to be outside playing football, playing basketball. So yeah, it led to what I am today. Yeah, so what position you play? Were you like an undersized three or four or what? Like what were you? Stuck you down on the block? So I basically played one through four. Um, yeah. I literally, I played everything. I was from a small town, so we didn't have the six nine centers and the you know six five small forwards. So I mean, it was 
it was pretty easy for me to be able to play like one through four. So, yep. So from Plainville, um, population around seventeen hundred people. I mean, that's a, that's a small town. Uh, I've I've grown up in I've grown up in a little bit in a very small area. So I'm sure that coming to Kansas was like a culture shock. How how much was it adjusting to going from a place with 1,700 people to, I don't know the population of Lawrence, but I just know it's <laughs> more than 1,700. How was your first couple of months? Did you enjoy it? Was it the first time like really living in like a big hub? So how was that? Yeah, um, it was a pretty big change, honestly, um, right away. Like, um, like you said, 1,700 people to... However, I don't know how many that is, but um, yeah, it's a uh, traffic is obviously a lot busier than Plainville <laughs> is. And um, when I first came here, my first year was COVID. So there wasn't a whole lot of people on campus at the time. So I guess that kind of helped me like transfer from Plainville to Lawrence. Cause I mean, like I said, there wasn't a ton of people here, but I think being on the football team really helped me. Um, I guess like come from a small town to a, a bigger place because I grew into a lot of relationships. It was easier for me to be able to, you know, hang around people because I, I mean, obviously I had a bunch of friends in Plainville, so like it wasn't like a major change, but it was definitely a, a step up. Yeah, I'm sure. Were you were you a Kansas fan growing up, or were you just? I mean, I know a lot of lot of places in rural Kansas. They're Nebraska fans. K-State fans. Was were you guys a Kansas family through and through? Yeah, my whole family was a KU family. Um, we have been basically my whole life. A lot of people don't know that my brothers and I like Nebraska football growing up. So I, I was a Nebraska football player, a fan for for a while, I guess. Um, but um, our whole family, uh, my sister came here. I mean, my oldest sister came to KU. Um, my brother played football here for one year. Um, and so, yeah, we, we um, enjoyed KU um, and like KU basically my whole life. Yeah. So running back in high school, obviously, recruited here as a fullback. When did they bring up the idea of you playing tight end? And were you just like, oh, all right. Or did you ever really think about it coming into college? How did that transition really go? Oh uh, yeah. Um, so my junior year of high school is when I came on a visit here, and then that was when Coach Miles was here, and they I was coming here to play linebacker initially, and I came on a visit and he was talking to me, and then basically he was like, "We kind of were interested in you playing fullback," and I was like, "Well, it kind of makes sense, you know. I play running back right now, so I mean, I can block pretty well, so it, it makes sense." And then obviously I came here. Um, started playing fullback and then uh, that staff obviously left and the new staff it wasn't really like a fullback type guy I guess yep. in the offense so um, I basically got put in the role of a tight end and um, I was pretty low on the depth chart to start with but I, I knew that was gonna like happen because I mean I'm like barely six foot so you don't really <laughs> see six foot tight ends um, across the country but yeah it was it was a little bit of a change obviously playing running back in high school um, fullback and then now I'm basically still fullback and tight end but my coach gets mad when I say I'm a fullback so I guess I am just a tight end so <laughs> it's not too much different than than, um, than just the name and the, and the position 
Yeah, for sure. And you do you do a ton of blocking. I've been watching the games lately, or been watching them all year this year. And you do a ton of blocking. But to walk us through last year, I mean, obviously you played in nine out of eleven games last year. But really, when you came onto the scene, obviously is the Texas two point conversion. <laughs> I know. I mean. Everyone knows you for that, and you'll be remembered forever for that. That was such a that's, that was such a dope moment. I was in Lawrence; they were trying to break in the stadium and tear the goalposts down. So how how was that? I mean, you really explode like you had a hundred and I think it, I, it was like a hundred and one receiving yards last year. You had like five or like ten in the Texas game, and then sixty five in the next game, and like another thirty five in the game after that. So how was the last part of that season and taking on really a major role? Yeah, we were pretty banged up in the tight end room, obviously, because, I mean, I came on to the scene in the Texas game, and then uh, we played TCU in West Virginia, and we were banged up in those games, so we didn't really have a lot of depth left. It was kind of me and, like, another guy, so we, I mean, I really just had to go out there, and, I mean, I, w- I would know, I knew what to do the whole year. I mean, I had, I stayed ready. Basically, that's just what what they told me to keep doing, you know, I would just keep asking, what do I need to keep getting better at? What do I need to do to get on the field more? And they said, just wait your time, just wait your time, just wait your time, just stay ready. And obviously, I mean, it happened pretty quickly. Um, I basically took on a starting role in the last couple of games. And then, um, so yeah, I would just stay staying ready. And um, obviously I started watching a lot more film when I started playing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was a major change for me uh, when I started playing a lot more. Yeah, I'm sure those those Thursdays and Fridays, the last three weeks of the season, were a lot different than the oh, yeah. weeks before. Like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> probably an hour or two, two hours more film, like actually oh, yeah. getting the nerves. Yeah. But sure. so th- those last three games last year, I think people forget they talk about the rebuild that we're going through right now, a rebuild, but just really like a rebirth, the way that we've played this whole year. It really started at that Texas game last year. Those last three games, I mean, I, don't, I think we only won the Texas game, but those were all three competitive games. We were scoring points. The The way we looked like we were playing competitive. Um, how, like, what would you describe this biggest change after that Texas game? Um, I wouldn't really say it's like a change, but um, I guess the belief in what, what we were doing, you know, um, it, it kind of, really, it, I mean, it finally showed up. Um, we were in a lot of close games last year and we weren't in games last year, so it kind of showed up and it didn't show up on the scoreboard at the same time. And um, I mean, at Texas, it finally kind of just showed up from, from us winning. I would say that, um, yeah, like you said, we, we played con- competitive against TCU in West Virginia. Uh, we lost both of them. I think we lost by three against TCU and six against West Virginia. But um, I wouldn't say it was a major change. I would say just stay, staying to the course, you know, um, doing what they're telling us to do and not getting discouraged at losing because it's going to show up eventually. And I mean, it has shown up um, at the start of this year as well. Yeah, for sure. And I, I forget that Lance came in last year. Was it, it pretty much was after spring or two years ago after spring ball. Yep. And so I'm sure that obviously you guys have him coming in. I'm not going to say that you guys were like this, but it could have been like, wow, dog, like he's trying to sit there. And I know he's a disciplined, disciplined, disciplined guy. I'm sure it was hard for a lot of people to get on board with that after being in the what less miles in year, which I'm sure was just like, he's a player's coach, just kind of lets you guys do whatever, get the talent on the door. A lot of people probably had a 
um, like a coming to Jesus moment almost. Would you say that was kind of the consensus? Yeah. Um, it was just a lot more, like you said, a lot more disciplinary action, you know, um, that you, you basically like, this is what they laid out, what they were going to do. And they just stuck to the plan ever since they got here. Um, yeah, it's just a lot more like organized. I guess we know like exactly what the standard is and we're going to follow it. And if you don't follow it, then, um, they're, they're going to see that. Yeah. So, and they're going to know when you're not following it. So yeah, it was, a this is a lot more organized and, um, a lot more discipline with Coach Lightbulb. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that that's the culture, though, that a lot of those teams have. And it obviously is working for us. That, I mean, this obviously is his first full year this year. And what you guys are doing now is ridiculous. And watching the way you guys compete, the way it's mo- – I feel like it's player-led. Like, And it's not even, like, vocally player-led. You just have those guys like Kenny Logan, you, Jalen Daniels, Earl Bostic, um, Devin Neal, like all these guys are just going out there and pretty much 110%. And that's contagious. And that's uh, something that I've noticed as a fan lately um, that is just really, I feel like, taking us, kind of put us in a position we've been in. How much do you attribute to being player-led by where they're like, okay, we're so tired of hearing the coaches discipline us that we're going to take it on our own shoulders and kind of go? Yeah, they basically, like I said, they set out that they said that they were going to put a plan in place for us. And they said for us to become how we're like becoming right now, it it can't be them. Um, There have to be player-led meetings, player-led walkthroughs, like all the stuff behind the scenes need to be player-led. Like the coaches can't control everything and and the players know that. So um, everyone, everyone contributes to knowing that like the coaches can't tell you everything and like you're gonna have to take constructive criticism from another player and sometimes that is that is hard to hear you know like even say like a sophomore or freshman correcting a senior you know like you don't ever really hear that but it's hard to hear and it needs to be said so um leaders need to lead and followers need to follow and that that that's um um something that we've gone by and like you said all those those names, those are great leaders for our team. And they, they lead by not only their words, but their actions. And they set an example for how the rest of the team is supposed to follow. Yeah, and I, I honestly see a lot of similarities between the way that Coach Leopold coaches and Coach Self coaches. And um, that's what the sign of good team is. I played I played at Kansas for five years, and the, our three best teams, it was like that. You, I mean, Coach Self would obviously jump you a little bit, and every, uh-huh. I mean, he would jump you a good amount of the time. But then you would hear a chirp from somebody, like you would hear Ochai go go after a Devon or somebody like that, or Devon go after a Doke. And those, when people started being able to take that, like water off their back and kind of like sitting there looking, that's when you have those teams that your back's against the wall in the fourth quarter, you're down a touchdown or whatever. Those are the guys you want there because you know they're going as hard as they can as they care about you. If they care about you enough to correct you, then obviously they care enough about you to try 110%. I think that I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that for sure. And it definitely, it, it looks similar to what it does in the basketball court for sure. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. So, okay. We'll switch this over to NIL for a second. I already know yeah. what you're, you know, I'm what I'm about to ask about. <laughs> so, okay. I mean, dude, that's gotta be wild. That after the Texas game, you get an Applebee's commercial 
you get a you get a car. Um, you got a car, right, from Crown? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just what like what's going through your mind? Like you were pretty much like not a, no offense, but you just were not having the contributing minutes. Like probably not really well known to being probably the most popular guy on campus and really in the state of Kansas for probably about <laughs> a three week run right there. <laughs> How was that? Yeah, um, after that game, it was really hectic that week, um, especially leading up to um, the TCU game. Um, I, I shot the commercial on like Tuesday, I think, of that week for Applebee's. And then um, I think it was a week or two later when I got the call about the car. Um, and then there was just some other like smaller, you know, like interviews and whatnot. There was a ton of interviews the week after the game. Um, so it was really hectic. Um, this It's really, I mean, when I came into college, NIL really wasn't a thing yet. It was in the talks. So I didn't really think about this happening and like happening to me, you know. So it, it was really crazy. Um, and really, I mean, it was an honor to be able to, you know, obviously be in the, the right spot to get the ball <laughs> at the time. And then um, to be able to, you know, get the, the commercial and the car and everything like that. But yeah, it was a really hectic week and um, it was it was also a really cool experience at the same time. Yeah. How, I mean, what'd you get? You got, for the Applebee's Sports, I heard you got like a like $1,000 or $1,000 gift card to Applebee's or something like that. Yeah, yeah I got, I got um, $1,800 um, in cash or and money and then 1500 and gift cards so how long did that take you to spend or did you just take everybody out which is like all right go run it up well the, the money the just the original money i mean i was probably gone already and then the 1500 <laughs> gift cards I, I literally i think i took about the whole city of lawrence out to eat i'm pretty <laughs> sure I've, i'm pretty i think i still have one or two gift cards left somehow so it's like they just keep appearing that but yeah, I, I'm taking a lot of people out to eat. Um, you know, the O-line, um, some of the wide receivers, obviously the tight ends. So yeah. I, I, can, I can't use $1,500 on Applebee's on myself, so. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, Apple, like, I love Applebee's. It's just not overly expensive. So it is like <laughs> you have to be putting, you have to be eating every single day pretty much, three meals Literally. a day to get that done in a while. Literally. <laughs> That's, dude, that's hilarious. I remember like I remember seeing the commercial being like, you always got to go for two. And I was like, God, that actually works so well. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, yeah, it was still something for sure. How many takes did that take? Was it just a one take or were you sitting there nervous? Because I mean, it's, there's a difference between me interviewing you and going to Applebee's to shoot an Applebee's commercial. Yeah, it was really, um, yeah, it, it was nerve wracking because you walk in there. First of all, I didn't really know what was going to happen when I went in there because I didn't technically know I was doing like a commercial at the time when I walked in. So I walk in and all these cameras are set up and this lighting and I'm like, what, what's going <laughs> on here? And I, I, I'm pretty sure it ended up taking like five hours to like shoot everything. So like all was the that was that because of you because you were messing up or it just took forever logistically. No, they just they wanted a bunch of different angles, a bunch of different lines, and like they had my parents come up because my parents were already in Lawrence, so they had them come be in the commercials. So yeah, it was it was a long day. <laughs>
a long day shooting an Applebee's commercial. I mean, if you would told, I'm sure if you would have told yourself that, like if you went back in the past, so it's about a year and a half before you'd be like, what did I do? Like, did yeah. I just get an extra acting job or something on the side? That's that's <laughs> wild. That that's that's absolutely hilarious. Yeah, it was crazy. Mass strategies has done a ton, um, just helping you guys with nil stuff. Do you think that helps? I mean, obviously it helps the program, but do you see this like becoming a major part of recruiting to Kansas? I know the culture is getting better and we're getting our stadium redone, but do you think that that will help us more than some of the other things? Yeah, um, I think that mass strategies is going to eventually grow. Like it's kind of like not a lot of people really know about it right now, besides like the athletes and the university. Um, but I do think it will eventually um, grow to be a really big deal. Uh, like you see, a lot of these colleges already um, are signing recruits for everybody. Like, yeah, if you come come to us, we have you know a deal for you from like a say a car company or. Yeah. A, a business in in the city so i do think um nil will play a pretty big role in recruiting in the future in the near future yeah and i i don't know how much i love it um like i obviously you guys make a ton of money and stuff like that but i think it's playing too big of a role in recruiting right and like what you guys are seeing now a lot of your guys who are playing major minutes and major downs and snaps or whatever are our seniors or juniors and seniors people who have a ton of experience and that like I feel like that is how you make good teams is by building up people through the the years you I mean no offense to Kansas no offense to really anybody in the big 12 the only schools that sit there and reload year after year are like a Bama and a Georgia and an Ohio State because let me you look at Bama right now they're a backup quarterback that uh I don't know his name but he's probably a future Heisman winner yeah, he's, he was good. <laughs> and the only reason he's not playing is because they have the Heisman winner currently on their team. Yeah. And I don't think there's many teams in the country that can do that. But at the same time, I also – like, you have to compete because otherwise other schools will take away your top guys. Right. I just offer them big, big amount of money. And I, I don't know how much I, I'm in love with that thought. Yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. I think right now it's like, okay, I'm sure there's a lot of deals that people don't know about um, in the recruiting world, but uh, I think that it'll eventually get to the six and seven figures. Like some already, some people already have like seven figure deals from recruitments, um, but I think it will start to be uh, a lot more common and seen, which isn't a great thing. I don't think that's what they had in mind for NIL. But um, I think it could eventually come out to be that way. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that in the next two or three years, they'll start regulating it like pretty yeah. heavily. When the balances of power start to like lean towards certain schools who just have right endowments and stuff. But yeah. I mean, it, it it it's not a I, like you look at Texas A and M as a good example for me. They have the number one recruiting class. I'm sure they threw out so much money through boosters and all that stuff. And their team just doesn't play together. Yeah, I, I see that. And that that's one of the things that would probably go with it. You know, they, they just want the top guys, top guys in the nation, which obviously, like a lot of people say, I mean, stars and whatever rankings do, like they do have them. They do have yeah. matter in, in college football. But um, 
if you if you know if you know if they're like a cancer to the team like yeah too many players too many players on the field right to just have one guy i'm sure those guys will go on and be crazy athletic and nfl freaks or whatever but yeah you don't have a team that plays together then you can get beat by everybody exactly yeah and we sh- i feel like we show a good amount of that too yeah i mean is it it's just so weird it's it's like weird to talk about you know <laughs> it's like where's the middle ground of a really good player and a really good team player um yeah. you know so and you guys have a ton of those i mean you guys pretty much are just a team you guys work well you guys the way you guys run your offense and stuff you guys could beat everybody in the big 12 any day of any week yeah that's the thing with the big 12 right now it's just like you never know what you're gonna get week in and week out so i think i really think like the big 12 as a whole is like a team you know i don't really think it's sticking out as good players taking over like i don't think that's how the big 12 is which I mean, you never know. It could, it, there could be things going on with teams that you don't see um, on the field, but I, I can speak for us. I, I feel like we're playing pretty well as a team overall. So, Yeah, and let's talk about the last two weeks. I, this will probably air after um, the Baylor game, so I don't want to talk about next week's matchup. But um, <laughs> you have your last two weeks. Obviously, TCU and Oklahoma, those are hard games. Jalen goes down against TCU. Bean comes in and plays great. But both those games, regardless of what people want to say, TCU game was one of the best college football games I've watched in a very long time, especially coming from Kansas. That was a ton of fun. But there's just one or two plays that separate really both those games. Yeah. Um, you know, the first against TCU, um, that was a lot of a lot of fun. Um Obviously, with game day in town and everything, all of the hype and everything. Um, but like you said, um, it's just like this, the, the small details um, of certain plays that that obviously cost us the penalties. Um, penalties cost us in the game. And um, we've been fortunate up, up until that point. Uh, we still had some penalties, but we've been fortunate enough to win um, the first five. And then, you know, like last week, um, OU caught fire. Um, I mean, yeah. we, we, I mean, we, we played a pretty, like, I mean, it didn't look great. We, we didn't play as terrible as people perceive it to be. I mean, obviously, Oklahoma got beat 49 to 0 the week before, um, but they came out firing and um, yeah. it is like they, they caught fire against us. So we, did, we just needed to be ready to play and we weren't. So, I mean, what we did, all really can, all you can do is just move on. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people also, we're, we're, we're rebuilding. We're rebuilding. Yeah. We just came off a year where we won two games last year. Yeah. And then before then, about five yeah. in the, 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 the eight <laughs> years before then. And we're going five and oh, and everyone's expecting us to go to the college playoff. It's like, no, hey, we have a great team. You guys are playing fantastic. But it's it's I don't this is not a shot at Kansas football, but like it's not if we made it to the college football playoff, then I I mean obviously we're great and you guys blew every expectation out of the water, but it is uh I feel like if fans now that you guys are winning, they they just expect you guys to continue, continue to do it. Has that changed the morale in the locker room at all, or do people understand like they just kinda know, hey, 
that's their opinion. They can go do that. We're just focusing on getting better and becoming the best team that we can be. Yeah, um, it, it really hasn't changed the the locker room that much. Um, uh, people, you know, when we lost last season, like it was like we gained a bunch of fans after the Texas game. And so, you know, like we, we know that it's going to be up and down with fans, you know, we're doing really good. And they're like, rah, rah, go KU. And we're not, they're like, wow, KU is not good. So we know that that's how it goes. And, you know, that's how life goes. So we're, we kind of just, we just kind of keep it inside the locker room. Um, we, we believe in ourselves um, and the coaching staff. And we know, we know what we have to offer. And we know that we still haven't played our best, our best football yet. So um, there's a lot of things people haven't seen yet. So we, we know, we know how to handle that. Yeah. And I mean, I love Kansas fans to death. And they, I'm not saying they're like too critical or whatever, but they are very, uh, they're very emotional. Oh yeah. <laughs> you guys are playing good. It's like, oh my God, we're the best team that's ever stepped on the field or like ever stepped on the court, whatever. And then as soon as you lose, like, God, we're back. We're like, we're just like whatever. I mean, we saw it all the time with basketball. We'd lose a game and they'd be like, This is the worst team coach selfs had in yeah. however long. It's like I've been on five of can't or KU's worst teams then I guess at this point like after every game we lose <laughs> exactly. and that's a new that's a newfound thing for you guys because you guys did you guys have been getting so hot that the passion and everything's come back completely yeah um it, it yeah I mean it took a, and I wouldn't say that it took a for us to win like that for everyone to start really believing um you know but last year at the end of the year it did give us a lot of confidence coming into this year knowing what we could do, knowing what we had on the team. And like you said, I mean, KU fans, I mean, all fans, all fans in college, NFL, really emotional. Um, You know, like you said, you're doing good. They're going to be with you. When you're doing bad, they're going to, they're going to talk bad about you. But they're still with you. That was the thing. Like they're still with you. They're just like, they're on the edge. Like they're sitting there like freaking out. And you guys are all in the locker room being like, Dang, like if we would made this play and this play, we would have won. Like we didn't play bad, and they're sitting there yeah. overthinking it. Yeah, they. You can tell they don't watch the film for sure. So that that's one thing they don't. <laughs> they don't do. <laughs> yeah, we. I mean, we dealt with that a lot, and I was thinking about that, like coming into this. I was like, God, yeah, they probably do now. Like they're looking on Twitter and stuff, and they're seeing all these guys being like, "Dude, we can easily go nine and zero, ten and zero." And you're just like. <laughs> Yeah, Shit, I mean, um, I hope so, but at the same yeah. time, I don't know how likely that is. Yeah. <laughs> but staying on the fans, um, so this year has been obviously completely different, but the, the stadium, Memorial Stadium, has been pretty much packed every week. I mean, Tennessee Tech was obviously not the most packed game, but that's an FCS opponent that just – really wasn't very good you guys noticed different difference for sure how much does that play into the way you guys play at home because i think we i mean we're undefeated at home obviously but we played very well there yeah um it, it was it's really crazy you know um here in forty-seven thousand people compared to 25 or thirty thousand, it makes a huge difference um and running out of the tunnel you know you look over yeah i mean i used to look over and you know, half the side of the stadium was empty. 
and now it's like filled all the way to the top. You know, it's you see the Instagram post sold out for the third time straight. Um, it's like yeah. pretty crazy. So, I mean, it really doesn't hit you until, I mean, we stay in a hotel in Kansas City the night before a game. So, the, all the you drive uh, in, all right? the hype doesn't really hit you until you like a block away from the stadium. Everyone's tailgating and you're looking around and everyone's flooding the streets and everything. So, yeah, it's really cool. Uh, it definitely does help us. So, um, I mean, hopefully we can keep doing doing good enough for them to keep coming back and filling up the stands. So, yeah, I think you. I think you guys have done enough. And just by like even the. I mean, we've lost obviously the last two, but. It's, the way you guys have played is enough for Kansas fans in general. Right. You guys score, you guys play well, competitive. You guys all sit there, give it your all. You've gained the respect of, I mean, a million fans probably from the University of Kansas that are going to back you regardless of what happens. And um, we, they're a huge basketball school. And we always say we have the best fans in America. We're the same school. So those fans are now coming tr- down to you guys. So you guys just have this crazy rocking fan base. And I'm sure that coming into a stadium that's like half full, you love football, so you're excited to play the game. But I coming in with that 47,000, which is just a ton of people, is, yeah, it, it definitely probably gives you that boost to to get that spark, spark underneath your butt and be like, okay, yeah, let, like, let's go. Let's, let's fire up. Yeah, it's, um, like I said, it's like kind of gives you the chills running out. Um, a couple of minutes before the game. I mean, you don't really think about it. And I mean, like, you can definitely tell on third downs, you know, like, yeah, it's just it's crazy. In there. In there. Yeah. Uh, especially like the Iowa State game was really loud. Um, obviously, really close. Even TCU, um, it, was, it was rocking in there. So, yeah, it, it was really crazy. Um, and it's just like, it's really something you dream of, like, when you first got there or when I first got there. Um, like I said, there was not very full, especially playing during the COVID season. There was nobody yeah. there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was really, it's a, definitely a big advantage for us when we play at home. Yeah, for sure. Talk about college, I mean, college game day too. Do you guys, did you guys watch that before? I remember when we would play, they obviously had the stuff all that. You had an 11 a.m. kickoff, so probably a little bit harder to watch, but we would try not to watch it that much. Did you guys all watch college game day as it went on? I mean, we really didn't have any time. We got up at 6.30 um, the day of the game, ate breakfast, did a walkthrough, and we were on our way to the stadium. So, I mean, it, it really, there was nothing nothing for us to watch it on, I guess. Um, yeah. So, that was probably pretty intentional. And um, it was probably a good thing, uh, you know, to kind of keep the distraction away of college game day being there for the game being at 11 so that was also helpful but yeah, yeah. Um, I, I didn't really see any of college game day until you know we got there and saw the stage and everything like that so you did you should you should rewatch it it is yeah. it was I mean for me I've, I've never obviously that's the first time we've had it in a very long yeah. time if, if ever um, that was such a fun experience. You should go back. I mean, after the season ends and you want to look back on this year, go watch that. It was it was pretty legit. And they were saying it's like the best place they've been and all that. So I'm sure you guys obviously feel proud after the game, even though you guys didn't get the outcome you wanted. Just looking at that and looking at the tweets and the videos and stuff after. 
Yeah, it was um, like I saw a bunch of tweets um, and I saw stuff from like Reese Davis, Kirk Herbstreet. Um, I saw all of them saying like, yeah, this was Pat McAfee. Pat McAfee. He was, he, he was loving it. Yeah, he, I, I, um, some of the team, I think some of my teammates did like watch his live show or whatever on Friday there or whatever. So yeah, um, I saw all those tweets and that was, that was really cool. And they said, fill the hill. And I looked up there before the game, it was pretty full. So that was, that was pretty cool and pretty crazy to see. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we are, we obviously talked about the leadership and discipline and stuff like that, but how does it feel for you being a Kansas family? Obviously you said you were Nebraska football fans when you were growing up. How's it, when you sit back and look back and pretty much see that you guys have rebuilt this program, not to where you guys want it to be, but you guys were trending for the first time in a very long time in a right direction strongly. What is that? Does that make, how does that make you feel? Just, are you proud about it? Are you like surreal or was that your exact mission on why you came to Kansas? Um, that was really my, my expectation and my mission when I first got here, you know, I mean, basically, I know that's pretty easy to like say, I mean, we haven't been to a bowl game in I think 15 years or something like that. So, um, it's pretty easy for all those players to be able to say, yeah, I'm coming here to change it around. And, um, I mean, it's a credit to the coaching staff as well. Obviously coach Leipold and his staff, because, um, when I obviously my first year we went 0 and 9, so that wasn't yeah. the really expectation in mind when I when I first came here. But yeah, um, my mindset was always to come here and change things around, um, do what I can to um, help change it around because I, I mean that was my number one goal in mind. Yeah, and I mean a ton of people, a lot of the big recruits that came here, their their quote unquote reason why was to turn this program around, and like I said, they never really did it. So now you guys are trending. So people are going to start coming. You guys are, we always say it on the basketball team, you leave this place better than you found it. Yep. And that's what you guys are doing. You guys are creating huge potential and upside and honestly making it easier on the coaching staffs too. And recruiting wise, be like, yeah, we weren't 0 and 9. We were five, we were six and whatever last year, eight and whatever last year. We weren't 0 and 9. Like we're on, we're on the right track. Yeah, it, um, it definitely does help um, for obviously the future of the program. Seeing that it went from 0 and 9 to 2 and 10 to however many games we win this year, um, we're already at five. So what's going to stop us, you know, from getting six, seven, eight, nine, whatever? So, I mean, it's going to be a huge, a huge help for Coach Leifold and the staff in the very near future. Um, um, a big time recruits. Um, obviously, we got some pretty good transfers this year. Um, so they, they do a good job um, in what they do. And it's obviously going to continue. Um, and I think it'll be sustained success here for the, for the next years to come. Yeah, that, that, that would be ideal, obviously. I'd love to hear that. I've been a Kansas fan forever. I was here and going to the games in 08 and 09 and stuff. So that that's definitely something that uh, a lot of fans are going to love and they'll remember you guys forever strictly for that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about you, the role you play on the team. 
obviously this year haven't seen as many targets. I mean, really, you're pretty probably at the your target match from last year, just because <laughs> it was really the last three games. But you take on a you play you play a good amount of snaps. You play a, a great amount of snaps, but a ton of it is blocking. Do you find that as you're being your niche, like when you have run and blocking situations? that you're usually the one out there hitting the crackdown blocks or going to the second level to the linebackers? Yeah, um, that's something I take pride in um, uh, because the coaching staff, uh, the offense coordinator, which is my position coach, um, he said uh, in order for me to be able to, you know, get targets, um, I need to be able to block really well. Got to earn them. So, <laughs> obviously, one targets. Um, you know, getting the ball is nice and scoring touchdowns or whatever, but – there's no really better feeling than, you know, throwing a downfield block just bring a really long run or whatever. So um, it's probably the only thing better is the scoring a touchdown. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Uh, like actually no, being the one to score is nice. Yeah. But for real, um, you know, like I said, um, it's really cool to be able to feel like you play a big part in the run game. Um, you know, that's the dirty work. That's basically what your glorified O-lineman playing a tight end spot. So, I mean, the tight ends get to do it all. You get a block, you get a shoot, maybe sometimes run the ball, um, catch the ball. But, yeah, I, I like um, getting out in space and getting on second-level defenders and springing big runs for sure. Yeah, I was happy. That's, that's the one thing I've noticed. I know football a little bit. I know football to a high school standard. This is my first year in a very long time. I've actually been able to sit down and watch games. Uh-huh. And obviously me and you are friends. So like I, I pay attention to you a decent amount. There's a ton of times and I respect it because it is like, it's grimy. It, it is what it is. It, it, I won't beat around the bush. It's grimy to be an O-lineman, but the respect that you guys have from people who really watch football and understand the line rarely gets praised, I feel like. And people like you who block a lot rarely gets praised. But as soon as they allow a sack or whatever, they just start getting absolutely torched. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's part of the fan, the fan emotional part, you know. Um, when, when we have a really long ball, um, say like Lawrence Arnold's touchdown, the first touchdown uh, against Oklahoma, yeah, and there wasn't a, a defender near um, Jason, so like they were like great pass by Jason Bean. You right. sat, sat in the pocket and stayed strong. You're like, yeah, well, no glory six for of our guys just destroyed their D lineman. Right, and then say one protection breaks down and that blitz um, gets home on the quarterback, and it's like, oh, well, well, why can't we? Why can't we pass block or why can't we do this? And then. The next play, we'll throw a 40-yard ball, and then it'll be like, oh, great catch, great throw, and then nothing for the online. So, yeah, yeah it goes back to that fandom, emotional, um, the emotional side of the fans for sure. Yeah, and I think you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. Our One of pretty much our weakest point over the last four or five years has been our offensive line. And – we made improvements. I mean, I think Earl, I remember having classes with him my freshman year. He came in as a tight end. He did. And they they put on some weight on that boy. And they our line looks big. We used to look small and kind of get bullied around every once in a while. Now I feel like those guys are dedicated. And they, they earn a lot of respect for turning around this program, too. Yeah. Um, there's, that's one of the major points is um, we needed to get bigger as a whole entire like defense and offense, whole entire team. 
And our offense has done, our offensive line has done a really good job. I think they're always like 315 or 320 or something like that. So it's massive. Yeah. So yeah, that uh, credit to them, um, credit to the staff, the nutrition staff for um, beefing the guys up, beefing everybody up, really. And that's one thing that we made it a goal in mind for us to be able to look like we really belong and play. So. Yeah. Well, people will find this very interesting. So walk us through like a day of you eating when you have to gain weight. Like say like 10, 15 pounds ago when they're like, oh, we need to beef up. So what are they doing for you guys? So basically um, we we go in, um, everyone has to be in the building by at least, or at the latest 6.30 in the morning. So if you really need to like eat, <laughs> there's a thing called breakfast, breakfast club and you're late in the building by 5.30 in the morning. So you gotta go in. Um, this is required, eat. right? Like if like if you get put on to breakfast club, you gotta be there at 5.30. Yeah. Okay. So you gotta go there. Um, they manage like, they'll fill your plate basically for you. Um, tell you what you have to eat. Tell you, you know, how much to eat, whatever. And then, um, so then you're done with that. You go to meetings, you probably grab a snack before you go to meetings, um, eat it while you're in meetings, uh, go to practice. And after practice, we'll, um, we have lunch and they'll do the same thing basically as breakfast club, basically fill your plate for you and make you eat. And then um, I'm pretty sure I've never been on breakfast club, but you have to send them what you're eating for a snack like two hours after lunch. You have to send them what you're eating for dinner, and you have to send them what you're eating two hours after dinner for a snack. So you're eating probably like five to six times like legit meals a day, and then like two to three snack times a day. Yeah, so. and I'm sure that makes like you can tell the guys at Breakfast Club and who aren't during those like morning sprints in the spring and the in the summer. <laughs> yeah. <or whatever. laughs> The guy that the guy that went and puked all all five days this week who did the morning run like yeah he's no, that, that that's 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 a that's a true statement that's a very true statement <laughs> yeah because they're I mean you guys do a ton in the morning we never really did stuff in the morning and I remember like coming out uh, we ran hills a couple times for basketball during the summer and you guys would always be getting off of the hill or whatever when we would walk up to it and I was like oh god thank God I didn't play football yeah we um. They like this stuff likes to get everything in early and be done by a certain time, which, you know, the night before you're dreading getting up like, oh, here's five thirties, you know, that long is going to hit it quick. But honestly, you know, like right now our schedule is, like I said, you're late to the building by 630 and I'm basically done with football stuff by about noon, 12, 15 every day. So um, you get the rest of the day to you know, watch film, do your homework, whatever. So it's not as bad as people perceive right it to be. Right answer there on what you do with your free time. Watch film, <laughs> do homework. <laughs> I'm, that's about right. That's all I do. I mean, that's all I, that's all I do. All right. We only, got a, we only got a couple minutes left. So let me think of something. Um, okay. So we're bringing Jason Bean in into TCU. What do you guys as a team really like – sit there and talk about he like i think what do you have one possession before half um yeah it, i think it would have been the finish of that 
that possession that Jalen got hurt in the amount of minute. Yeah, so and then what, Emil Bell, I think. What does Coach say to you guys? I mean, Coach say to you guys in the locker room. Obviously, Bean's a guy who has a ton of, of experience. And um, I'm sure that Lance is just cool, calm, collected, walking in there being like, hey, buddy, you you just go do what you know you can do. Is that pretty much the, the feeling in the locker room? Yeah, that was basically about it. Um, it's not going to change much for anybody. He gets a ton of reps during the week. He knows how to run the offense. Um, he knows how everything's supposed to go. And obviously that showed um, these last couple of weeks, he's done a great job stepping in. Um, but yeah, it basically Coach Hopwood said, it's your time, so it's your offense, go run it. Yeah. So that that was basically it. It wasn't going to change for the O-line, the tight ends, wide receivers, running backs. We were just going to do the same and Jason was going to be the quarterback um, directing yeah. the offense. So. And it does help a lot that those two are I mean, Jason may be a little bit faster than Jalen, but I mean, they're both just they're dual they're dual threat quarterbacks. Yeah, and that's a big um, that's a big help uh, when you have a dual threat quarterback like that to be able to get out of the pocket and scramble when he needs to and find um, some open receivers. And I think Jason does a really good job of that, especially getting pressured or whatever, getting out of the pocket and finding the open receiver. So yeah, they're um, both really competitive. Um, they're both really good at what they do um, and directing the offense. So there was no really any, you know, like we weren't really scared yeah. that Jason was going to, you know, yeah. take over. So, Well, I mean, regardless who starts each week, you guys have the best backup quarterback in, in the conference pretty much. Yeah, it's they're, they're, like I said, they've both been competitive. So, um, and they, they showed that throughout fall camp. Rossman practice and obviously it's showing that Jason stayed ready this whole time too so yeah and I'll have one last one last thing to talk about with you and it's the offense it's your guys' receiving core I mean you obviously have you and Fairchild the other tight end but your guys' receivers you have Lawrence Arnold you have Skinner and you have Grimm who really get the majority of the the action of, um, of most of the targets those dudes, I mean, Lawrence Arnold is he's he's a legit man. Like he's a legit super tall athletic guy and uh, Skinner and Grimm, they're kind of guys that really came from underneath the radar. How much um have they how much time have they put in to get to the spot where they're at? Cuz they're gritty, grimy guys that just sit there, come in, they run great routes, they make explosive plays and you just can't like you physically cannot keep those guys on the ground. Yeah, um, that's a credit to them. Um, they they basically stayed the course like everyone else. I think uh, Lawrence got some reps his freshman year. Luke didn't get a ton uh, until like I think it was the TCU game where he like had two or three touchdowns his yeah. freshman year. And then um, Quentin was basically in the same boat as I was. Uh, we kind of, you know, we were on scout team together. Um, we were basically just playing his backups and that was our role um, for a while and then as you've seen uh, he's done some incredible things this year for us already so um, I mean they may not be like like you wouldn't really think that they're going to be eye-popping wide receivers yeah. but they, they do the work and it shows obviously for for them to be able to pass and get up or catch the passes and get up field um, and score like Quentin, Quentin's like one of the fastest dudes I've ever seen. His Dude, legs are so long. So. Too. Yeah, it's like 
he, I think he ran like 22.6 miles per hour on a touchdown this year. So, yeah, pretty crazy stuff. And I'm sure it pisses the defense off a little bit more too when like little Luke Grimm's around there just cooking. Those yeah, are like a couple like, of this year. Some of the routes that he runs are like, how did he just do that? And some of the balls he catches are like, I mean, people say I have good hands, but he like catches some stuff. I would be like, I don't even know. So, well, and like he goes up and makes those catches up in the air. He's a little guy. I mean, he's not little, but he's a smaller guy for playing football. Exposes his whole body. It's like he has no thought. It's just like, I got to catch that ball. Like, I don't care if a train comes and hits me. And he <laughs> gets hit, like, absolutely destroyed, hit his head on the ground to just like get up like a robot. Be like, all right, I'm running back. Yeah, he's only about six foot, uh, probably 11 and a half, six foot. And I mean, his vertical is crazy. <laughs> so that helps him get up and, you know, catch the ball over some people. But um, yeah, he. He doesn't really care if he's going to get hit. And that's a credit to all the wide receivers. They don't really, you know, and hopefully they won't get hurt or anything like that. But um, they, they kind of just focus on catching the ball and yeah. catching the ball down. So. And especially we're not being like overly physically intimidating. I mean, they aren't like a CD Lamb or like someone like that we've seen go through the Big 12. They right. get out there and they, they, take, they take their licks and they just get right back up. Exactly. So, I mean, that's basically... What I mean, that's just what they're coached to do. Um, and I mean, you're gonna get hit either way, so you might as well come down with the ball. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, hey, our time's running up here. Appreciate you coming on the podcast. Hopefully, we can do this again. Um, good luck this weekend, and good luck the rest of the year. I'm expecting at least eight. I'll let you. I'll let you guys drop those two, and maybe one more. But I expect at least eight from you guys. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you.